Here we go. Now, this year on Focal Points, which is every other month, so the next one will be in August, we've been going through the 1965 North American tour. We took you to Hollywood, to the Hollywood Bowl. We went to San Diego with Ivor Davis. Ivor was at both the Hollywood Bowl in 65. He toured with the Beatles in 64, and they brought him back in 1965. He couldn't go to the first part of their tour because he was busy covering the Watts riots in Los Angeles, but he joined them for the Hollywood Bowl and for San Diego, and he really gave us a great tour along with Kathleen Kaiser, who was the Beatles fan club president in San Diego. Well, tonight we are going to Houston, Texas. We will be landing there and then going eventually to the Sam Houston Coliseum and to the concert, the two concerts actually, that the boys gave on the 19th of August, 1965. Now, let me be honest with you. The Beatles had never been fond of performing in Texas. To them, because you know, you've got to understand that they are young and they are important and they are in the limelight. And when they thought about Texas, they thought about the assassination of President John F. Kennedy in Dallas on the 22nd of November, 1963. And John especially was obsessed with this topic. He just could not get over the loss of this bright young leader at the hands of what seemed to him to be a, a deranged gunman. It was so tragic to him and so upsetting that he spent really the next few years trying to make some sense of it and find the motivation for it. In 1964, another journalist besides Ivor, in fact, a very dear friend of Ivor's, joined the Beatles on their 1964 North American tour. And his name is Art Schreiber. Now, Art worked for the Westinghouse Network, so he wasn't with the Beatles from day one the way that Ivor was. He was covering the Democratic National Convention the first week or so of the 1964 tour. But when he did join up with the boys in Atlantic City, he would get a phone call in the middle of the night, and it was John. I Get over here, Art. I want you to play Monopoly with me. And, and Art would say, no, John, I got to file a news report by 8 a.m. He had five reports that he had to get in each day. So he'd have to get up, get the story written, get it edited, and get it sent off. No way he should be up at 2 a.m. playing Monopoly. But John would say, no, come on, you've got to come over. You've got to come play Monopoly. So reluctantly, Art would traipse over to John's room. Well, John wanted to play Monopoly. He loved it. But what he really wanted to do was to ask Art again and again and again about what's, what's up with this Kennedy thing? Why did it happen? What's the motivation behind it? And Art would tell him everything that he knew. But of course, we still don't know everything. Art told me once, he said he called me in the middle of the night. He wanted me to come to his room. But while we played, all he wanted to talk about was Kennedy. And in 1964, when the Beatles found out that they were going to Dallas, all of them were terrified. Well, in almost a self-fulfilling prophecy, the Beatles' visit to Dallas in 1964 on 18 September really did almost end in tragedy. They landed successfully. They drove through Dealey Plaza. They were scared to death to drive through Dealey Plaza to, en route to their hotel, but they made it just fine. And then they performed at Dallas Memorial Coliseum 
And there you're looking at the auditorium right now. They did, when they finished their evening show, they got back into the limo and they headed for the motel, motor hotel that they were staying in, the Cabana Motor Hotel. When they got there, there were girls all in the front of the hotel and the police were everywhere. So their driver decided to take them around to the back. And I don't know why there wasn't a police presence on the back of the hotel, but there were plenty of girls back there. And when the limo paused, they, it was very clear that they were going to have to run a gauntlet of fans to get into the hotel. Now, Art Schreiber, who was also there, and so was Ivor, said that the crazed fans broke through the police line there in Dallas, and they surrounded the Beatles. They were grabbing them. They were clutching them. George Harrison went to his knees. Ringo, who by far was the most popular Beatle in America, in fact, statistics show that if you take all of the buttons sold for John, Paul, and George and add that number up, Ringo outsold them combined four to one. So the girls were really after him. They grabbed him around the neck, a bunch of them. And Art Schreiber watched as Ringo went down on the pavement. Now, Art um, did the best that he could. From what Art's told me, and Ivor, you'll have to confirm this with us, but he said that Ivor was going for help because, I mean, this was trouble. And Art said he dove into the fray and that they ripped his coat, tore his coat, they tore his shirt, they were tearing at Art's face, and he said the glimpse that he got of Ringo, Ringo was purple in the face. Well, Ivor must have done his job because right about that time, the police showed up. They were able to get in there and pull the girls off the Beagles, and the, they were able to get into the hotel, and Ringo recovered. But returning to Texas in 1965, the following year, was not something that the group really relished. And as the four of them left Atlanta, and they were winging their way to Houston, they were, to be honest, just extremely frightened. Well, almost from the second that the boys landed, their fears seemed justified. They were getting ready. They were touching down their American Flyers Lockheed Electra that they had traveled in an Electra to the year before. It had worked out so well that they were doing it again this year in 1965. They were touching down at William Hobby Airport, which was named in honor of the Texas governor who hailed from Houston, grew up in Houston and became the Texas governor when they saw a huge contingent of fans waiting. Let's watch. Now, what you're getting ready to see is a video of the Beatles' Electra 2 landing in 1964. This is not 1965, but what I want you to see is what the plane looks like up close because something important, I want to point out something important to you. So this is the same plane, but it's the year before. Here we go. So this is in Chicago. There are the girls and guys waiting. And here comes the plane, same plane they're going to be in in 1965. And I want you to watch what happens as the plane comes around. Can they hear? Okay, good. I mean, just I didn't know if I were. Okay. Watch, do you see the rotors turning? Everybody see those rotors turning as they're coming in? Well, 
1965 in Houston, John Harrington, who was the American Flyers pilot, who was waiting to take over as chief pilot in Houston, watched as the plane rolled in. And as he watched, hundreds of fans broke through the police line and they went running out onto the tarmac straight for that plane and straight for those turning rotors. The pilot on board the Electra 2 saw it as well. He got on the 1MC and said, seat belts, hold on. And he braked as hard as he possibly could and in 1964, they weren't as strict about you had to be sitting in your seat, you had to be buckled in, upright, blah, 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 blah. So some people fell. Um, the stewardess said they were scared to death. I talked to both of the stewardesses and they said when that happened, they were absolutely terrified. People were jarred and rattled. He switched the engines off and thank goodness he did because only his quick thinking saved those fans who were running straight for those turning propellers. But that didn't slow them down. Um, the fans never slowed an inch. In fact, they surrounded the aircraft. They started banging on the fuselage. Some of them climbed up on the tires, and some of them managed to even get up, with a little help from their friends, on the wings of the plane. Now, the Beatles, at this point, are terrified, and they're looking out of those tiny porthole windows at the fans all over the plane and banging on it. And Tony Barrow, who was the head of publicity for NIMS, he did not get to travel with them in 64. He stayed behind to take care of the other acts like Cilla Black and Billy J. Kramer and so forth. This year, he's been allowed to come on the trip. And what does he see? He looks out the window and sees the fans smoking cigarettes on the wings of this plane with the hot gasoline right there next to them. They're scared to death. Well, for 40, 4-0, 40 terror-filled minutes, the Beatles were held hostage on that plane. And of course, Tony Barrow and Neil Aspinall and Brian have their heads together on what they're going to do. They're talking to the tower on the radio. The, the police are trying to come up with a plan. And they absolutely don't know how they're going to get the Beatles off the plane. Now, Rand and I've had a laugh about this all week as we prepared for this, but one of the plans was for the plane to take off again and go to Galveston where they'd land in Galveston and then take a car back. But uh, I don't think that was going to work because I don't think those girls were about to get off that plane, even if they, what are they going to do about starting the engines up? So I don't think that plan was too good. So they came up with another plan. They were going to use a high lift catering cart. And that's what you're looking at right here. They were going to roll it up to the cargo hold, open the cargo door, and the Beatles were going to get out. They would be surrounded by people like Mal and Neil and Brian and the American tour manager from General Artist Corporation, Ira Seidel, they would protect them and they would roll this high cart up to the terminal. So that was the plan. Well, the Beatles friend and chauffeur, Ira, uh, I'm sorry, Alf Bicknell, who was primarily in 64 and 65, John's chauffeur, but he did at on many occasions chauffeur all of them. For example, he drove them up to Salisbury Plain when they were making those scenes for help. 
he had been invited on this tour by John. And he said, and you can see it right there in gray, that it was very frightening when they roll this high catering cart up. It was like the body of a lorry. In other words, a flatbed with no sides around it. It lifted up. We had to get onto one of them. And as we were trying to protect the Beatles, someone threw a Ronson lighter or that type of thing. He got it full in the face. And you know what happens when you get a hit in the face, you, you jolt backwards. Luckily, Paul got a hold of him and stopped him from falling off the back of the lorry. So he says, the security was terrible. Yes, the, the beginning of the Houston trip was just a little bit scary. Then as the Beatles were being driven on this elevated lorry type thing um, towards the terminal, the fans whom I guess, I'm guessing they were trying to get the Beatles' attention, started throwing anything and everything at their heroes. They were throwing Beatles magazines. I guess they were hoping maybe the Beatles would sign it and throw it back. They were throwing lighters, lipstick cases. Um, Mal and Neil covered the boys and shielded their heads, but they were just absolutely frightened out of their wits. And Ira Seidel, that tour manager from, from GAC, told the press later that night, that the boys had almost refused to get off the plane. They only did so with the promise that they'd be protected. And of course, when all was said and done, they were protected and they got into the terminal safely. But Ira says even he was worried that things weren't going to go well. Well, the next afternoon during the press conference, and we get our special guest here tonight. She was at that press conference at the Sheraton Lincoln Hotel. John was asked, what he thought about Texas. And he replied, well, we haven't seen much of Texas. We've only seen Dallas in here. and We nearly got killed both times. And then Ringo added, we're scared to death. But being the professionals that the Beatles always were, they kept their word to perform two shows, one at 3.30 p.m. and then one at 8 p.m. at Sam Houston Coliseum. And true to their professional nature, they did an excellent job. Let's take a look. Thousands of fans that lined the streets to the Sam Houston Coliseum that summer day to see the group which took the world by storm. Tickets were only five dollars a piece. In 1965, that was a good sum. Nevertheless, the concert was sold out. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring to you through KILT the Beatles. The Beatles. The crowd was as much a part of the Beatles phenomena as the group itself. Fans went to any extreme to see John, Paul, George. I can't buy me love. I can't buy me
having a good time and I think it was all forgotten you know let me be clear Houston isn't the only place that the Beatles had gone through that sort of thing in fact the year before in Chicago someone threw a Chicago steak at them and also on the 1964 tour they had a can of fruit cocktail thrown at them you can imagine what that would do to you if you got hit with a can of fruit cocktail well I'd like to say that everything was smooth sailing once they got the show on the road, but that's not the case. In fact, during the afternoon show, and the afternoon show was much more raucous than the evening show. I, I, we've talked about this, and I'm guessing that during the afternoon, parents probably dropped their kids off at the show, and at night, a lot of the parents probably went along, but the afternoon show was pretty raucous, and during the show, the fans broke through the police line once again. And Chuck Gunderson, in his amazing book, Some Fun Tonight, says that hundreds, hundreds of them ran up and swarmed the stage, and they were crushing the people in the front two rows. Well, they called upon the DJ for KILT. I'm sure from that video, you were aware of the fact that that's the sponsoring station. His name was Russ the Weird Beard Knight, and there he is. And he is going to try to calm the kids down and get them back in their seats. I couldn't get a, an audio clip of him trying to calm them down and get them back in their seats. But this is Russ, the Weird Beard, telling the girls and guys to be quiet before the show starts. So imagine if he is this vociferous before the show starts, imagine what he was like when he was trying to calm them down and get back in their seats. Here he is trying to get them to calm down before the Beatles come on stage at Houston. If you kind of take a deep breath, kind of relax. Everybody do exercises, okay? Don't forget we're bringing help to Houston on August the 28th at Lowe's there and you can buy your tickets in the morning at KILT Studios and also at Lowe's Theater itself. We'll just sit down for just a second. Would you keep your seat please? Keep your seat. Please, this is very important. Everybody sit down so everybody else can see, please. In back, in front, people in front, uh, 
please keep your seat because you have so many people all the way back that can't say a blessed thing if you stand up. And I know you're getting tired waiting. Just keep your seat because there's a few uh, changes that we have to go through with. And hollering will not bring them on any, qui any quicker, believe me. When they're ready, they're ready, and that's it. So just kind of be real quiet. Real quiet, okay? We're just getting the drum. Be still a minute. We're just putting the drum up here. We just had the drum. Okay. Ladies, hold it. Hold it. Quiet. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in Houston, the Beatles! The Beatles! Oh, that totally makes me laugh. I mean, you can have a cool beard and have a name like Russ the Weird Beard, but if you're screaming, quiet, quiet, quiet at Beatles fans, I don't know if you're cool or not. Um, but anyway, Russ was, was asked to calm the people down and he told them people are getting hurt on the front two rows. The show's going to be stopped if you don't move back. And they did get the fans settled down and the Beatles, of course, went on with the concert. But the fans continued to throw things at the Beatles. And here you can see George has almost been hit. Look at the look on his face by a flying tennis shoe. You can also see a lipstick case on the ground and what looks like a spice can, maybe a cinnamon can. So I may imagine if those things are thrown at you from a distance, that can really hurt. In 1964, Paul was hit by a lipstick case about a half inch below his eye. And in several of the shots in 1964, you can see the cut that's there below his eye. So, I mean, it, it was quite an eventful concert. I will say that. Um, fortunately, the evening show was calmer, but to call Houston a lively experience is a little bit of an understatement. And to the Beatles' credit, in all of the photos that we have, they're not only performing their hearts out, but in most cases, they're smiling. And they gave the crowd a show to be remembered. Now, we just talked with our special guest. She texted us and said that she, they're having power surges tonight where she is, and she keeps trying to get on. And so far, she's been unable to get on because of the power surges. So I'm saying a little prayer that she'll be able to join us. I know she would love to join and tell you her story about being chosen to be a student reporter for the Houston press conference and for the concert. Um, she and I both are North Louisiana girls. I was born in Alexandria in the middle of the state, but I grew up most of my teenage years in Natchitoches. And yes, that's how you say it. I know it looks like Natchitoches, Natchitoches, Louisiana. She grew up in the suburbs of Spring Hill, Louisiana. Now, if you're from Louisiana, you don't say Spring Hill, you say Sprang Hill. She grew up in the suburbs of Sprang Hill in a little town called Shondaloo. And she and I both were at a young age were student reporters. I was a John fan, she was a George fan, and I was a student reporter for that wonderful publication I'm sure you heard of, the Natchitoches Times. 
But the biggest gig that I ever got was I got to interview the candidates who were running for school board. Oh, wow. She was smarter and she was more courageous. And she applied to be accepted as a student reporter for the Beatles concert at Sam Houston Coliseum. And hopefully she'll be here to tell us about what happened. She is smart. She is funny. Her memories are just fantastic. Her name is Catherine DeMoss, and you can follow her on Facebook. She's still a devoted Beatles fan, and hopefully she'll be with us. But first, before we keep our fingers crossed and hope she joins us, sit back for just a minute and enjoy this wonderful collage that Rand created of photos. And this is live music from the evening concert. This is the Beatles in Houston, 1965, doing Twist and Shout. professionals no matter what and what a wonderful wonderful time doing two concerts in Houston I can't see well yes we'll see in just a minute if Catherine's been able to join us but I do want to remind you that our next focal points webinar will be on Tuesday the 23rd of August now you say wait a minute wait a minute I thought we always did the third Tuesday well, the reason that we're pushing it back to the last Tuesday is super duper important because in August, I hope to see you all in person at the Fest for Beatles fans at the Hyatt Regency O'Hare in Chicago. I just can't wait to meet you all, the ones I haven't met before, and to talk with you. This will be my first time at a large gathering in two and a half years, but we will see you on Tuesday, August 23rd right here at 7.30 p.m., where our topic will be Rubber Soul. We will probably on that night cover side one of Rubber Soul. And then at the next one, which will be uh, September, October, around John's birthday, we will cover side two of Rubber Soul. So mark that down Tuesday, August 23rd. And until then, for those of you especially who are new tonight, I hope that you will look at johnlennonseries.com and check out the John Lennon series. It's a series which will be eventually probably 10 books. I've always said nine, but the book, the current book, Shades of Life, I had to break into two parts. This is, if you're looking 
this is just the first eight months of 1965. So we had to break that book into two parts. It was getting too heavy to even hold. 1965 is an eventful year. You read it like it's a narrative, like you're reading a story, but everything is highly researched, documented, and footnoted. So you're getting what the Beatles said, what they wore, what they ate, what they did, what they sang. You just feel as if you're actually there in almost a day-by-day -day journey with John and the lads. So check it out. Um, now, can we tell if she's been able to join us yet? Not yet. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll just keep hoping to stall for time. We're going to go ahead and do our trivia. Oh, thank you, Tom. Thank you so much. We're going to do our trivia game. And all of the questions come from the PowerPoint that you just saw and from the information. So it'll be fresh on your mind. And the, for the first prize, we're going to be giving away this beautiful shine on t-shirt of the Beatles that Rand did, and he will sign it for you. You can get in touch with me either on Messenger on Facebook, or you can get in touch with me, and I got to see the question too, um, or you can get in touch with me at rjkess, R -R -J -Kess at comcast.net, or just write to me on Messenger because I'll need your snail mail address to mail your prize to you. So get ready, get poised for a signed shirt in your size. What city did student reporter Catherine DeMoss hail from? You can give me either one of the cities that she was in. Yes, Jennifer Sandy, right on. Spring Hill, Jennifer was our first answer. So I see Andrea and Dwayne are here. Yay! Thank you for being here, guys. I appreciate it so much. And Tony, like, Rallis is here. Rallis Wiesenthal, you guys, Rabbi Wiesenthal, great, sweet guy. All has been sending me photos of 1966, the end of 65, 66, 67, 68, that I can use to describe things in the next few books. He sends them every single day faithfully. So thank you, Rallis, so much. Okay, Jennifer Sandy, I think I have your address, but just confirm with me. Number two, get ready to type. What door of the Electra II did the besieged Beatles exit from? We're looking, loading, yeah, cargo, that's it. Yeah, it's Patricia, is it Patricia Bender? I, I can't see the end of your um, name, Patricia. I think that's who it is, but just type it out. I think that's who it was. Yay, that is great. You guys are good. Okay, number three, who was the Beatles? This is hard. And uh, Patricia, you won, I didn't tell you what you won. But you won these two, all you need is love. Love is all you need coasters. Aren't those so cool? And I'll get those sent to you. This one is for a one-year subscription to Octopus's Garden. So, oh, Patricia Casey. Okay, it's Patricia Casey. All right, she got it. All right, so this is hard, but it's for a one-year subscription to Octopus's Garden. Woo! Who was the Beatles' American tour manager from General Artists Corporation. Let's see. We're looking. It's hard. I mentioned his name only a couple of times. 
<laughs> the guy's Tony name Bear. I can't remember. Tony Barrow. No, Tony is their uh, pub- publicity manager for NIMS. This guy, I know y'all are looking it up on your phone. Ira Vito, yes. Ira Seidel, Vito Trabuco, yes. That's who it is. We will send you a, um, I will definitely need your um, snail mail address, Vito, so that Tom and Robin can send you a year subscription. You're going to love, love, love it. It is an amazing fanzine. So congratulations to you. Okay, this is for a copy of volume four in the John Lennon series, Should Have Known Better. And you can see it's all still sealed up. I'll open it and sign it. And this is the book that has the gorgeous artwork in it by Susan Durbacher. This is 1964, all of the great things that happened in 1964. So, and if you already have it, just unless you want to give it for a gift, just let someone try that, that doesn't have it. So here we go. What was thrown in George Harrison's direction during the afternoon concert in Houston? Yes, Carol Gaspoire, right on top of it. A shoe. Yes, a shoe. And Carol, you probably already have this book, but you may want to give it as a gift or give it to your local library. You can just let me know. And I have your address, Carol. No problem. All right. This next one, Rand said, was really too hard. Yeah, it's, I'm going to use that one right there. And it is for a signed and dated copy of the new book, Shades of Life, Part One, which is the first eight months of 1965. So the Beatles making help, going all over the world to make help, making the soundtrack of help. Paul, of course, writing yesterday the first solo song of them being nominated for the MBE and the ruckus that followed that, the premiere of Help in London, John publishing a second book of poetry, A Spaniard in the Works, lot happening in this book. And here is the very difficult question. What was the name of the Houston airport in which the Beatles landed and then got pretty much surrounded in 1965? And it's not Houston International. Yeah, William Hobby. Howard got it. William Hobby Airport. Howard Cohen. Howard, I know you already have the book. If you want one to give to a friend, great. If I think you may have a t-shirt as well. I'm not positive. Just let us know what you want. If you want those coasters, I can go back to the store and get those for you as well. Well, it looks like um, Catherine is not here. I will very briefly tell you what she did. And then as a special treat for all of you, um, we will try to get her on in July. We don't usually do to do one back to back because it takes Rand, lean in here one more time. Weeks and weeks and weeks to do the PowerPoints, but we will um, we'll do a special meeting with her in July if we can get her on. But when she was 15, 15 now, she gets the idea that she's going to apply to be a student reporter. And she wrote and applied to, I I guess, I don't know if it was NIMS or GAC, but she was accepted. She and a friend of hers, Eileen, decided that they were going to do this together, and they did. So they drove to Shreveport, which is where I live right now. They got on the Greyhound bus, get on the bus, forget about us. And they rode to Houston by themselves. That in itself is pretty amazing. When they got there, her aunt and uncle met them at the bus station and they drove them to the Sheraton Lincoln Hotel 
where they um, got to go into the press conference and absolutely see the Beatles live and in person. And then after the press conference, they were driven by her aunt and uncle to the concert and they got to attend the concert and she has so many great stories so we're going to try to get her on again i hate that the surges it is as we said at the beginning extremely warm and it's really difficult but we will um we'll try to get her on in july and i will write down everyone's name and i will get in touch with all of you to let you know if we can get her on but thank you guys for being with us tonight to all of you um, who are reading the John Lennon series, I really appreciate you. To Octopus's Garden, Tom and Robin and Janet and the whole staff at Octopus's Garden, thank you for sponsoring the show tonight. And to Rand, thank you for the great, 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 great PowerPoint. And I will hopefully see you all again in July if we can get Catherine DeMoss from Shangaloo, Louisiana to join us. Shine on.